Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We don't uh, often have really a, an Oscar-related show here on Radio Parallax, but, uh, but we do today. In fact, we have on today's program a couple of pretty important individuals. The first, whom we'll talk to in our second segment, is Norman Corwin. If you are familiar at all with the history uh, of the classic era of radio, you know the name Norman Corwin. Also, if you're of sufficient age to recall his classic broadcasts during World War II, uh, well, his name will, will mean something to you. I think by the end of today's show, uh, he will be much more familiar to most of you. Um, some time back, I purchased a, a, a volume of radio broadcast that was titled The 60 Greatest Old-Time Radio Shows of the 20th Century. Walter Cronkite was involved in the selection, and it is interesting to note that out of these 60 hours chosen, Norman Corwin has no less than three of those broadcasts. A documentary about Mr. Corwin titled a Note of Triumph, The Golden Age of Norman Corwin, has earned an Oscar nomination for Best Short Documentary. Uh, we traveled down to Los Angeles last week to interview Mr. Corwin. He's 95 years of age, and we thought we'd get better sound fidelity if we were in the same room with him. He was kind enough to, uh, to invite us into his home to do that. I'm somewhat uh, tickled to note as I, as I talk to you that I'm holding uh, in my hand the Reuters um, news service um, story on Corwin. It just so happens that when we were down there in Mr. Corwin's uh, living room, the call came in from Reuters. So uh, KDVS and Reuters were, uh, were competing at that moment for the same individual. As it happened, we got there first and got the entire interview done before the call uh, came in from Reuters. We uh, went on the road last year down to Los Angeles when they were having at the Museum of uh, Television and Radio in Beverly Hills a tribute to Norman Corwin. It was hosted by Norman Lear. A number of luminaries from the Hollywood scene were there. It was a wonderful evening, and from that we made the contact which allowed us eventually to get this interview. Well, we encourage you by all means to stay tuned for our second segment where we will, uh, we will air that. Uh, also on today's program, which is kind of an embarrassment of riches, I, I would say, in, in our third segment, we're going to speak to Mr. Milo Radulovic. The George Clooney film, which is Oscar-nominated for Best Picture, is all about the story of how in 1953, Mr. Radulovic was going to be thrown out of the Air Force because his father read a communist newspaper and his sister was a social activist. Uh, this... Um, this prompted Edward R. Murrow and his producer Fred Friendly at CBS to talk about this on his program, See It Now. The glare of publicity uh, saved Mr. Radulovich from being thrown out of the Air Force, as you uh, perhaps have seen uh, in the George Clooney movie. Uh, really, uh, we can't 
say enough good things about uh, that effort. Um, if you have not yet seen it, please do so. We, we are pulling for it on Oscar night. Again, stay tuned for our third segment today where we'll speak with Mr. Radulovich. All right, let's do, uh, let's do on this date in history. On this date in history, in 1861, in the American Civil War, controversial Union General John C. Fremont is relieved of command after declaring martial law and proclaiming freedom for all the slaves in Missouri. A few years earlier, in 1856, Fremont had been the first candidate run for the presidency by the then upstart Republican Party, whose platform advocated the, uh, the elimination of slavery in the United States. On this date in 1877, Rutherford B. Hayes was declared the 19th president of the U.S. by an electoral commission. The electoral results of four states were disputed in uh, what is basically a theft, a disruption of the political process by the uh, previously mentioned Republican Party, which denied the actual victor, Samuel J. Tilden, the presidency by cutting a deal that would allow Reconstruction to end and the South to go back to its old style of management, which meant a reversal of the 12 years of civil civil rights progress that had been made in the South and which then took 90 years, basically, to undo, uh, which took place in the 1960s. This was not the last time that an American presidential election was stolen, But uh, this example is even more flagrant than the year 2000 theft of the presidency by the George W. Bush team. And by the way, the opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. But you know I'm right. On this date in 1896, in the first recognition of what would later be called radioactivity, French scientist Henri Becquerel reports his discovery of penetrating rays from a uranium compound. And on March 2nd in 1927, American baseball legend Babe Ruth signed a three-year contract with the New York Yankees worth $210,000, making him the highest paid player to that point in history. We're tempted to use as our joke of the day the, the famous Babe Ruth quote from that era when someone pointed out to him that he made more money than President Hoover, Ruth replied, well, yeah, but I had a better year. For it's one, two, three strikes you're out at the old ball game. Uh, No, actually, our, our real joke of the day comes from a bit of unintended humor. Some phrases that were translated in the English Bazaar Melee Phrase Book Back in 1966, its purpose was to help English-speaking visitors with their day-to-day needs in Borneo. This includes the following useful phrases for the tourist. Is this poisonous? Also, wait while I remove these leeches. Uh, We can't be certain that the Tourist Bureau had a lot to do with this phrase book, but it did include also... She has bad pains slash snake bite slash gunshot wound. And of course, the practical phrases, tear some clean cloth into strips. With some corollary phrases, uh, keep him warm and go quickly for help. And finally, my favorite for the potential visitor to Borneo, I can't come for a time because the monsoon will start. 
All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, last week was a good week for science fiction fans after a mysterious black goo bubbled up between the cracks of the streets in downtown Los Angeles, forcing the evacuation of hundreds of residents. It was judged a bad week a few weeks earlier for family values when the Kremlin-installed leader of Chechnya, Ramzan Kadyrov, suggested that given the casualties of a decade of war, the Chechen men should restore the population by adopting the Islamic system of marriage, in which each man may take up to four wives. Russian ultranationalist legislator Vladimir Zhirinovsky said polygamy was a terrific idea, even for non-Muslims. We should welcome this initiative and apply it throughout Russia, Zhirinovsky said, because we have 10 million single women. And from the ugly file, we have this item. According to the New Yorker magazine, no less than eight local TV stations in Los Angeles keep helicopter crews on the payroll so they can lift off at a moment's notice to provide aerial coverage of police car chases. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Our statistic for the day, and it is indeed a grim one, uh, we've been trying to figure out where to insert this in the show for weeks, and I think we just have to bite the bullet and put it in now. From the New York Times, about 80% of the U.S. Marines killed in Iraq thus far would have survived had they been wearing better body armor, according to a secret Pentagon study. The study found that existing vests failed to protect critical areas in the upper chest, under the arms, and the back of the shoulders. Vests that did protect these areas were rejected several years ago as too bulky. We've been hearing these stories for a long time coming out of Iraq. Uh, the, the personnel carriers are not adequately armored. Uh, and now this, that uh, the actual gear people are wearing, is not up to snuff. We, we talked a year ago about how the fact that families here in the United States are having to buy body armor and send it to their loved ones over in Iraq. We're spending $2 billion a week on this war, which is not part of the budget, by the way. They're trying to juggle the books outside of the usual pluses and minuses. And you have to ask, if we're spending $2 billion a week, why aren't we protecting our people over there better? And speaking of money and political corruption, it appears the administration has gotten itself into some further hot water over this issue of a London-based company. Uh, managing U.S. ports being purchased by one that is part of the government of Dubai. I don't know whether any of you caught uh, Dan Bartlett's interview uh, on, on Forum with Michael Krasny last Monday, but the administration is, uh, is facing some opposition from the right, 
The Republican Party, of course, has always been noted for its fiscal restraint, but that seems to be tossed, have been tossed out the window. Uh, once the Republicans have settled into power for the past decade and a half, they discovered that uh, they really like spending. Some are uh, calling uh, our precarious uh, budgeting of the federal, uh, federal dollars um, faith-based budgeting. We uh, wonder where this will all lead, but note that the press is uh, showing a little more gumption about covering some of this stuff, although I did, uh, did want to cite a cartoon by Joel Pett of the Lexington, Kentucky Herald-Leader, which I thought was pretty funny from last week, which shows a very smug White House press corps, you know, with blow dryers out, talking on the cell phones, uh, leaving the auditorium saying, well, the Iraq war got by us, but nobody's tougher on a hunting accident. And again, we do want to offer that correction. Uh, people out there are, are thinking that that song is titled Cheney's Got a Gun. It is and always has been Aerosmith's Janie's Got a Gun. Uh, we should note with some amusement, although the administration is fighting very hard for reasons that remain very murky, for this deal that allows uh, an Arab company to operate security on U.S. ports. At the same time, drug intercepts from Canada are at an all-time high. So we're, we're not concerned about containerized cargo being checked because we're not spending money on that. Instead, we're spending it in Iraq. We're thinking about having an Arab company, uh, a conduit, by the way, through which AQ Khan shipped nuclear materials to Iraq, Iran, North Korea, and Libya. Uh, the, the same place from which two of the hijackers that attacked us on 9-11 came from, the same uh, United Arab Emirates that were resisting uh, tracking the funds that had been sent to the 9-11 hijackers, these are the folks we want to trust with port security in the U.S. At the same time, we can't risk Americans uh, taking Canadian drugs, of course, which cost only maybe a third of what U.S. pharmaceuticals do, even though they're manufactured in the same plants, as the, as the drugs sold here in the U.S., we don't want to trust that those can be brought into the country. Well, we'd have to say, when it comes uh, to threat assessment, we'd have to regard the administration as... All right, a couple items to end our first segment today. The postponed execution of Michael Morales is something we'd like to address at greater length. The absurdity of having defense attorneys claim that uh, you need an anesthesiologist present to make sure that in case this man wakes up, uh, well, I don't know what they were thinking. If the guy wakes up, you give him another dose. This is pretty simple pharmacology here. The idea that he would experience excruciating pain from the subsequent injections was not questioned medically by the judge who went ahead and ordered anesthesiologists who then uh, decided at the very last second they were not going to stand by and participate anyway in this execution. This matter will be reviewed in May by the judge in charge. We think the whole thing is a circus, a fiasco, and justice denied. We'll come back to that. But uh, how about this item to close off the segment? Walmart, the world's number one corporation, has come forward after criti being criticized for not offering uh, sufficient benefits to employees in the way of health care. They've come forward to say, you know, the government needs to get involved here.
Yes, Walmart Chief Executive Lee Scott said that employers cannot continue to meet the rising costs of health care and urged a government-business partnership to find an answer. That's right. The Walton heirs, the world's, well, right up there with the world's richest people, uh, those who run the privately owned Walmart, are suggesting that what's necessary to ensure their employees is help from you and I, the taxpayer. Government in action, ladies and gentlemen. You and I need to chip in, dig into our pockets, and shell out some cash to support the Walton family. We would call that corporate welfare. What do you think, dear listener? Stay tuned now for an interview with a legend of broadcasting, Norman Corwin, to follow after a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm your host, Douglas Everett.